Great. Thank you. Yeah, so as Pastor Lucas uh, said, my name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. Um, And so I want to tell you a quick story uh, about the first time that I ever got to stay up for New Year's Eve. I remember begging my parents, like, please just let me stay up. Like, I know it's going to be this incredible moment. I know it's going to be this exciting time. Like, please, please let me stay up. And if anybody knew me as a kid, they would know that uh, I was actually a kid that would, like, send myself to bed. Uh, and it would typically be quite early, so it's like a strange ask for me. But I just like had this conviction and this convincing uh, of myself that like New Year's Eve was some magical thing. And so my parents, after begging them, let me stay up. So I remember the anticipation and the expectation of that moment, and I couldn't wait. And so we counted down as we watched the ball drop in New York. Uh, and the clock struck midnight, and we all shouted, Happy New Year, and all the couples kissed and did all their thing, and there was this big celebration, and we could hear fireworks from probably the crazy neighbors next door, and all this stuff. And as the hype and as the excitement and conversation died down, I was kind of standing in the middle of the room, and I had a frown on my face, and my parents looked at me and said, Marcus, what is wrong? And I remember looking at all these adults with, like, shock in my face, and I said, That's it? Like, that's all that happens at New Year's? Are you kidding me? I'm going to bed. And so I sent myself to bed straight away because my expectation was so high. And when it came to the moment, I was so bummed out. I was so disappointed. And this mission that I had of staying up to experience New Year's quickly fizzled. And expectation can kind of be a little bit of a tricky thing. We want to have high expectations. We want to be an optimist. Um, I don't think that many of us want to have come into things with low expectations. But we can often find it challenging when those expectations are not met. And I don't think the challenge necessarily is how high your expectations are, but who or what you're placing them in. And so today we're going to look at the expectation of someone called Emmanuel, or God with us. And so if you're taking notes this morning... Uh, I want you to write this down. It's going to be on the screen. It says, the higher your expectation of Emmanuel, the deeper your drive for his mission. The higher your expectation of Emmanuel, the deeper your drive for his mission. Let's pray. God, thank you that you can be somebody who is trusted in, that we can expect uh, great things from you, and that you have never let us down. God, I pray that you convince us that as Emmanuel, God with us, that as we partner with you, that we can be on great mission together. God, I pray that my words would truly be yours, Jesus, and that anything that I say in my strength would grow so quiet, uh, and that nothing but your words that come from your spirit would uh, last today. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you, and we commit this time to you. In your name, amen. So talking about Emmanuel, um, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is actually where the prophecy was initially given about Emmanuel, God with us. And so I'm going to read that right now. Uh, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Isaiah was a prophet, and what a prophet essentially was, was a, a mouthpiece of God uh, to the Israelite nation, And they would often bring uh, a word from God, whether that was an encouragement uh, to spur the Israelites onto obedience, whether that was a word of, um, like, judgment from God uh, as Israel was disobedient. But they were essentially just a, a person that came between God and the people to give a message. 
And so that's what Isaiah is doing here. And so if you look kind of at the like scope of what this passage is, we jump into the story of King Ahaz. Uh, and he was considered to be a wicked king who allowed himself to be tainted by outside religion and who led Israel in disobedience. And so this king finds out that there is an alliance formed against him by two great nations, Syria and Ephraim, to conquer the royal city of Jerusalem and the entire kingdom of Judah. And so King Ahaz finds himself in a great state of crisis as his adversaries are quickly closing in on him from every side. And it's in this moment of crisis that God calls the prophet Isaiah to speak to the situation. And he tells Isaiah to bring his son Shir Jashub and tell King Ahaz that these two nations, although powerful to King Ahaz and powerful to the surrounding people, were actually no uh, power at all compared to God. And that if King Ahaz stood in faith, firm in faith, that he would experience victory. And this should have been a great hope uh, for King Ahaz. God had already begun to implement uh, a plan in place to deliver the people from this enemy. But God knew that King Ahaz was uh, swayed by religious pluralism and that he was wavering in his faith. And so God, in an act of grace, kind of gave uh, King Ahaz a carte blanche. She said, you can ask for any sign, King Ahaz. It can be as high as heavens or even as deep as the underworld. You can ask for anything, and I'll show you my deliverance. I'll show you that I'm true to what I say. And this is what King Ahaz says. It's found in verse 12. It says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And Ahaz his response at first seems very like pious or respectful to God. He probably thought back to the people who had tested God before him and who had gone before him in that testing and seen that it probably wasn't the best idea for him to do. Um, and so he thought, this is probably what I should do. And so he said that. But actually, Scripture says that this admission of him was actually showing a lack of faith. And he was given a reprimand from Isaiah for testing the patience of God. And then he was also given a proclamation that they would lose the battle against the army. And so maybe a lack of faith was exposed in his life. But then he was also given a sign of hope. And I think sometimes when we read um, prophetic literature in the Bible or prophets speaking, that we can think that it's all about the doom and the gloom and the sad and the destruction and the judgment and all that stuff. And those are definitely pieces of it. But if we look closer, there is always a sign of hope. And Isaiah brings that also to King Ahaz. And that sign of hope was that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son named Emmanuel, God with us. And the reality of the situation with King Ahaz is that he had no expectation that God would actually be with him. Instead of standing firm on that promise of Emmanuel, King Ahaz strayed and he was captive to fear. And the peace King Ahaz forgot in all of this was that even in his straying, even in his fear, even as enemies closed in all around him, God was still with him. And the mission of King Ahaz and all the kings of Israel was to lead the people of God, was to establish them as his people, was to be a blessing to all nations and live in the rest of the promised land. But the mission ends up failing for King Ahaz and is instead shallow and stunted, and his kingship is defined by failure, captivity, and destruction. Sometimes our biggest obstacles to God's plan for our life and his deliverance is not actually the external circumstances, but it's the internal circumstance of our hearts. 
sometimes our biggest obstacle to God's mission for our life aren't actually the circumstances surrounding us, but it's instead the internal circumstance of our heart. And how many of us have felt like King Ahaz before? I know I have. We're surrounded by an enemy. We're backed into a corner. We're unsure what to do or what to say or how to act. I know I found myself in that place. But I want to encourage you that if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling backed into a corner, if you're feeling like a failure, God is with you still. And if God is with you this morning, then not only that, but he is also for you. He is also for you. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't promise King Ahaz or the Israelites a mighty warrior that he's going to bring, but actually instead he promises his presence in their life. And I think that's so interesting, and it's because God's presence brings a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace that no human warrior could ever accomplish on his own. But when God promises his presence, that's what we get to receive. And that's a promise that we get to live in. But the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, will we let him be Emmanuel in our circumstances? Will we give control to him as our expected king? Because the higher your expectation of Emmanuel, the deeper your drive for his mission. And you may be thinking this morning, Okay, the prophecy of Emmanuel was given after this failure by King Ahaz, and I don't even know if you, like, really gave him a chance this morning. And although that that specific prophecy was given after King Ahaz had failed, the idea of God with us has echoed through time far before King Ahaz's time and far before that prophecy. Because King Ahaz could have looked back on the history of Israel and seen God being with his people He would have known about the promise given in Joshua that says, do not be afraid for I'm with you. Or in Deuteronomy that says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And he would have known how God's presence would have walked the people through the wilderness in Exodus through a pillar of cloud and fire. He could have looked backward and see God's faithfulness and his expectation would have driven him forward to deep missional impact in that moment. And this promise of Emmanuel is given to each one of us as a gift And it remains constant in the character of God. We see so clearly with King Ahaz that it wasn't about um, how he acted or how he responded, but that it was actually about the character of God because even in his failure, God still promised that he would be with him. And so this is not dependent on how you find yourself this morning. It's dependent on who God is, which is constant and unchanging and faithful. And although this prophecy given to King Ahaz was fulfilled through God sparing a remnant of his people from being totally destroyed, um, when you read the story, you kind of like think it's, I I thought it was weird that uh, Isaiah brought his like baby son to give this message to King Ahaz. Like, was it like bring your kid to work day? Like, was he like on babysitting duty while also like on the job? Like, what was the point of that? But the name of his son actually means a remnant will return. And so it's interesting that he brought this representation of that promise before he even talked to King Ahaz about the promise that God was giving him. He was already showing, God was already showing that he had a plan in place. But the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy actually echoes through time and is found in the person of Jesus. And so to give a a brief history of Israel and God's closeness to them, uh, if we go way back to Genesis, we see that God walked with Adam and Eve in the the, uh, Garden of Eden. But then when sin separated them, uh, 
there was a little bit of a breaking of that closeness. And God is omnipresent, and that's not what I'm arguing this morning. He is everywhere. Uh, But he also chooses to dwell with us personally through specific avenues, and he did that with Israel as well. He did it in a burning bush uh, when Moses was walking along the path and saw him. He did it in a pillar of cloud and fire as he led the Israelites through the wilderness. He did it in the Ark of the Covenant as that housed uh, the presence of God. He did it on the mountaintop as Moses walked down and was sh- his face was shining with the glory of God. He did it in the tent of meeting as Moses and Aaron petitioned for the people of Israel. And he did it in the temple where God's presence was housed in the Holy of Holies. But as Israel continued to be disobedient toward him, there was a time where that glory of the Lord's presence left the temple, and then there was silence as God initiated justice for the rebellion of Israel. And so this silence lasted hundreds of years after Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. But as we turn our pages of our Bible, and as history turns its pages hundreds of years later, one of the first fulfilled prophecies of the age was that Emmanuel had indeed come. And so I think that this promise must really be important to God if it's the first one that's fulfilled in Scripture, in the New Testament. And so the direct quote from our Isaiah text of it fulfilling that is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. And it says that Mary and Joseph don't need to be afraid because uh, the baby that is growing inside of, of Mary is from the Holy Spirit, and, it, it, and he is Emmanuel, God with us, who will save the people from their sins. And Jesus had took all, of the, all that the Old Testament had shown up until this point of God with us, and he took it to the next level by choosing to be Emmanuel as a human who walked the earth. And in this act, he chose to relate with us in a closeness that up until that point had never been experienced before. And the greatest display of Emmanuel was at the incarnation where the God of the universe chose to step off of his throne and enter into the chaos and the brokenness of our world to provide a way of restoring that closeness to God that we see all the way back in Genesis. And this truly changed everything. It changed everything for those people then, and it changes everything for us now. Because Jesus, in that moment of being Emmanuel, began to bridge the gap that sin had caused. And in his death and resurrection, brought that bridging so that we could be close with God again. And the first century hearers expected Emmanuel to be a political power that would overthrow Roman rule and oppression that they were experiencing. And so what the religious leaders expected of Emmanuel kind of caused them to get caught up in the wrong mission. And instead of looking at Emmanuel to be their savior, they looked at Jesus as their adversary. And as a result, they opposed the very mission of God that was fulfilling all of those years ago in the prophecy given by Isaiah. Because Jesus was the embodiment of God with us. And if we understand this morning that the higher expectation of Emmanuel, the, great, the deeper your drive for his mission, then looking at how Jesus lived his life on mission, I think is important key to our lives. So if Jesus wasn't going to be a political usurper like the first century Jews believed, then what was actually his mission? And so we're going we're to turn to John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 is a little bit of a different origin story uh, of Jesus coming to earth um, because it glazes over the specifics of his birth. It doesn't give a very clear narrative of that, but it shows us an important key to his mission 
as he fills Emmanuel. And so we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, because Jesus had a much deeper mission than just conquering political powers. His ultimate mission was to overthrow and conquer the authority and and oppression of sin and death in our lives and overthrow the power of darkness. And so John chapter 1, we're reading uh, from verses 1 to 14, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made that was, uh, that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, But of, or sorry, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. And I want to specifically highlight the last verse that I said in in verse 14, because it sums up the reality of Emmanuel. And Eugene Peterson, in his commentary of uh, verse 14 in the message, puts it this way, and I think it's so interesting. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. What a perfect picture uh, of the closeness that entered the scene at Christmas. Because when Jesus came to dwell on earth, he chose to identify with a pretty interesting bunch. At his birth, he identified with Mary and Joseph, who were essentially disgraced fugitives on the run from King Herod. He identified with shepherds who were kind of outcasts and uh, pushed to the side of society. He identified with those who had a different religious belief than himself through the wise men. And he identified in a place that was of humble origin in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus's mission was to be Emmanuel to all of us. But there is an emphasis in the Christmas story of being Emmanuel to those who are overlooked to those who are disenfranchised, to those who are rejected by society. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning or how you feel of yourself coming in today, Emmanuel means that you are no longer overlooked, but that each one of you are seen and are loved by him. It means that you are no longer rejected, but that you are accepted in Christ It means that you are no longer disgraced, but you are given grace and mercy and restoration in Jesus. And that is a hope-filled act at Christmas by our Savior, our King Emmanuel. Jesus coming to dwell on earth as Emmanuel gave us the clearest picture of the depth of mission that he's called us to. And John the Baptist knew this, as later in John 1, when he sees Emmanuel for the first time on the scene, he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a guy who has a high expectation of Emmanuel and whose mission of preparing the way for Jesus' entry was incredibly deep. It's important to note that when John the Baptist saw Emmanuel, it was immediately followed by proclamation. And that's because proclamation is part of our mission. 
When we expect Emmanuel, we are bold to proclaim who he is in our neighborhood. And one of the greatest acts that I've ever seen or experienced of Jesus moving into the neighborhood was actually when I was just in the Philippines this past spring. I was uh, leading a one-year program um, at my Bible college, and so I was an intern for it, and uh, I had a team of people that I brought to the Philippines to do missions. And so there was one day where we were having uh, what they called a day of evangelism. And so I was super interested to see what that was going to be like. They had told me that they were preparing for months and months and months uh, for this moment. And so they said, we're going to have a training day, and we want to train your team and just show them what we're doing. And I thought, this is awesome. We're going to learn a great new way to do evangelism. And I'm so excited to see what this is going to be like. And so as we came to our training, out they pulled this, like, small little business card. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this is. And it was like an old school Christian tract from like circa 1970. And they did this like weird, like flippy thing. I I had one in my Bible and I'm sad that I lost it, but they had like a weird flippy thing that they would do where they would like one word was on one side and the other word was on the other side. And on the back of it were these like keywords that they had to like move through and they had this script and it was like this very like vintage kind of practice. And so I was like, that's, okay, that's, that's what they've been preparing for. All right. And so we're like partnering with them in this. Um, and so I, in that moment, after seeing that method, didn't have much expectation of Emmanuel in that moment. And as a result, my mission that day was extremely shallow. But the Filipino youth expected that God would show up. They were so excited. You could like sense and like feel their, the electricity of their expectation that God would show up. And so they were not afraid of proclaiming who Emmanuel was in their neighborhood. And so through those tracks, five people that day came to faith. Five people accepted Jesus as their personal savior for the first time of their, like, ever. And they experienced what eternity will look like with Jesus. And then later that night, we had an evangelism service. Uh, And so we shared some testimonies, both from our group and then the nationals there. And as I got to watch one of my students uh, give a call to salvation, there were 20 hands that were raised that night. And as I was standing there looking at Colby do that, the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly to me that my attitude reflected that of the Pharisees far more than that of John the Baptist that day. And I was cynical toward the method of completing the mission, and my expectation shifted from Emmanuel to what I thought would be the best method of doing this. And so that day I learned in the Philippines, not by myself and not from my victory, but actually from my failure and from the victory of my students, that the higher your expectation of Emmanuel, the deeper your drive for his mission. And so I'm thankful for, that, for his grace in that moment, Because I had a low expectation of what was going to come, and yet Emmanuel still showed up, and he moved powerfully in that neighborhood in the Philippines, because the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so we see with Israel in the Old Testament that God chose to be with his people in a pillar of cloud or fire, in the tabernacle, in the Ark of the Covenant, and in the temple. But with us, Jesus chose not to be with us in a gold box or in a temple behind a veil, but with us, and then in our neighborhoods. And that's a closeness we have never experienced before. 
And if Emmanuel, the light of the world, decided to reflect his grace and truth in our neighborhoods, then our response this Christmas season should be to also reflect that. But do we expect God to show up in our neighborhoods? Because the higher your expectation of Emmanuel, the deeper your drive for his mission. And this season can be full of fun festivities, of Christmas shopping, of the hustle and bustle of the season, and of time spent with loved ones. And by no means am I saying that those things themselves are bad. They're actually ways to express generosity to each other and ways to experience community and to come together as a family. But the question that I was asked is, what is driving your mission in all of these things during Christmas? Because we have an incredible opportunity for our festivities, our gift-giving, and our time spent with loved ones to be fused with the mission of God that he has set before us in our neighborhoods. We have an opportunity to bring meaning into others' lives over this season by like what Pastor Lucas said last week when he held up that star on the stage, by reflecting Emmanuel to those around us. And so if you're feeling this morning like your mission isn't very deep, perhaps you need to raise your expectation of Emmanuel. And I believe that if we give him a chance this season, that he will show up in ways that we can't actually even expect, that are greater than we can expect, because that is who our God is. Is he is somebody who shows up and who moves into the neighborhood and performs miracles, like his birth at Christmas and like what we experience now. And so if we're on mission with him, then I think that our expectations don't actually just need to be met, but that they can be exceeded by the way that God moves and how he acts. Because what Jesus shows at his birth is that our lives should both be incarnational, which is God with us and us with others, and missional, which is purposeful and invitational. And so I want to see a look at a, an example of how Jesus was both incarnational and missional in his ministry. And it comes from John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And the story is titled, The Woman Caught in Adultery. And I'm not going to like read the whole entire story, but essentially Jesus is teaching at the Mount of Olives when the religious leaders kind of drag this woman and shove her into the crowd of people and tell Jesus that she's been committed, that she's just committed adultery. And then they ask what his response is. And Jesus has like the strangest response I think I've, I've ever seen in scripture where he's kind of like doodling in the sand and like the religious leaders are doing this thing and he's just like, first century graffitiing the floor, like, just kind of doing his thing. He's, like, super uninterested in what's going on. And the religious leaders get, like, more and more infuriated by this, and they keep pestering him to give a response. And finally, Jesus looks up from his doodles and says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, all of those religious leaders who were so passionate about uh, stoning this woman, which, according to them, was what the law required, walked away. And we see this picture of Jesus and the woman left alone. And Jesus looks up at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No, Lord, she says. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I think this picture sums up the Christmas story as Jesus was both incarnational and missional. And it proves what was said in John 1, that Jesus' mission was to be a person of grace and truth. Grace, neither do I condemn you. Truth, now go and sin no more. Because the actual person that could have exercised that judgment, the only person was actually Jesus. And yet he says in grace, neither do I condemn you. 
but he also gives truth that says, now go and sin no more. When we have a high expectation of Emmanuel, then our mission deepens as we become more and more like him each day by living in that grace and truth. There are people in our lives who need Emmanuel, whether it's lost people in our community, whether it's our friends, whether it's our family members. They need people who will offer them this Christmas season grace and truth that is rooted and found in Emmanuel. And we can't do it without having a high expectation of him. So I have to admit something. Um, I am already a regular at one of the coffee shops here in town, which is, for me, something that I'm, like, proud of because I'm, like, known and whatever. And also slightly embarrassing because I, that, like, achievement was uh, already given, like, less than a month of me being here. So it shows you how many times I show up at that place. Um, but as I've been growing in a relationship with people like Nevada and David at the coffee shop, as I've been looking at this invitation that's on my desk, I can't help but think of them over and over and over. Because they are the people that I want to give this invitation to. Because I believe that God has placed them in my life, not just so I can be a regular at the coffee shop, but because he has called me to these people to be both incarnational, of being with them, and missional by being invitational and being purposeful in the way that I build relationship with them. And so I'm not saying that to be like, look at me, I got it all together. But I'm saying that because maybe this is a point of accountability for me. And I'm saying it because I think that this is something that we can all do together. That there is nobody here who maybe can be, um, like have an exception to this, this moment. Because the reality is that Emmanuel is not God with you. And Emmanuel is not God with me. Emmanuel is God with us. And so this is something that we need to commit to together. And so our response this Christmas season is to be with others, but not just by proxy. We are to be with others full of grace and truth. And now that Jesus has left this earth to be with the Father, he has left us with the Holy Spirit, who is actually not just God with us, but God within us. And his spirit is in each one of you this morning and will empower you for his mission. And so I want to take a moment today to allow our expectation of Emmanuel to rise so that our mission can deepen. Because this is truly what the Christmas season is actually all about. But first, maybe this morning, uh, you've been sitting here and you actually don't know Emmanuel. But you're sitting here and you're exploring faith this morning. And as you sit here, you hear that this person is somebody who doesn't condemn you, but that they offer grace and truth and who is always with you and who offers himself to you as, as uh, a sacrifice for our sins. And so if that's you this morning, where you're exploring faith and you want to take that next step to believing in Jesus, can you do something incredibly brave? We, we want to make this a safe place for you to explore your faith and to take those next steps. And so if that's you today, where you're saying, yes, I need to experience Emmanuel in my life and take that step of faith, can you actually just raise a hand? It doesn't have to be super high, but just raise a hand. Okay. The next thing that I want... Uh, us to do this morning is I'm going to quickly pray, but if there is a invitation nearby you, can you actually just pick it up and hold it? And I'm going to get us all to stand. And I want us to hold this because I want us to have something tangible in our hands that as I pray, that we can hold something in our hands to be used as a tool for great mission.
And so I'm going to pray. And as we do that, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and to consider who is that person in my life who needs this invitation to Christmas Eve to hear about the hope of Jesus? Who is my person that I need to write on that too, on the top of corner of that invitation? And so we're going to hold that and I'm going to pray. And that's how we're going to close our service this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that you are on mission and that we get to partner in that. And so, Holy Spirit, we just take a moment, actually in silence, to ask you, Holy Spirit, who this person is or who these people are that we need to be invitational with and that we need to be incarnational with this Christmas season. And so we just take a moment to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, as we hear from you this morning, I pray that you would burden our hearts for that person to be in prayer for this week, that like Pastor Lucas said in announcements, that we would make that person our mission to be able to invite to Christmas Eve, because there are people in this community and close to us who desperately need Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus, we commit uh, this moment and all that was said to you, and we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.